Good morning. I will be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and he was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Glory to God in the highest, and the whole church said, We are struck with the beautiful sounds of these songs. We are filled up in a very powerful sort of way. Are you looking for Chris forward to Christmas? I'm just kind of curious. Okay. This is my youngest grandbaby, and she is so excited about Christmas. I am told this was not staged, but she climbed up in the suitcase because she was ready to go to Mimi and Grandpa's. And so somebody's looking forward to Christmas. Angel's Wings is the name of our series. We're looking at Luke's stories about the birth of Jesus. Angel's Wings is just sort of metaphorical. It's intended to kind of point us toward that, yes, Luke will use angels and records the stories. More angels in Luke's gospel right here at the beginning than in any of the other gospels. Not that they're absent from the others. But really the idea of angel's wings is about God's presence. And as angels are primarily just messengers for God, they are warrior messengers. They are herald angels, as the song will say. We are looking for God's message that Luke records for us in these stories about the coming of Jesus. Mary's visit to Elizabeth was much more than it just appears. She doesn't just decide, I'll take a quick trip to go over to see. In fact, it would have been probably several days' journey to get over to see uh, her relative Elizabeth. In fact, it was, it was in reality a response to the message that the angel brings. She had heard the message that the angel spoke to her of a son that would be born to her. In spite of the fact that she didn't know a man, she was a virgin. He said, the Holy Spirit will hover over you and God's going to create something in the same way that he created at the beginning of the world. He's going to create something in you, a bit of a new creation. But his affirmation, you can believe me, Because you're going to find out that Elizabeth, your relative, is already pregnant. And it is literally the turning of the page. The next line that Luke records is that Mary goes to see Elizabeth. It is a confirmation. The angel Gabriel had told her, Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived. You can trust me because of the truth of what's going on in Elizabeth. In a very powerful way. John the Baptist is the herald for Jesus' ministry. And in a powerful way, the pregnancy of Elizabeth becomes the herald of the assurance that Mary can take in what the angel has said. That having not known a man, she would still conceive. And you had to recognize that this would have been very early in her pregnancy. She's not, not much with child at this point. 
And yet it is the words that Elizabeth speaks. How would the mother of my Lord, she's come to me, that Mary recognizes the truth of what the angel Gabriel has said. She goes for confirmation, but in that confirmation, she finds something that she can trust in, and that she, even though from the moment that it began, she said, here am I, let it be unto me as you would. She now is ready to make every preparation for a baby to be born. Read with me these intertwined stories of Zechariah, who the angel appears to, who felt the brush of angel's wing, Elizabeth, his wife, and of course, Mary, who also experiences Gabriel's message. Join with me starting in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, I like, this is not whispered. She wants everybody to hear. Blessed are you among women. And it still echoes to us and to this very day. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Do you ever have the experience of encountering Jesus? You didn't think he was going to be there. You weren't sure he was coming. But he comes, you come around the corner and there's Jesus. And, and something within you just has to leap for joy. I don't, ha- I don't not expect that Elizabeth was expecting Mary. Number two, I know that Elizabeth didn't expect Mary to be pregnant. She had not heard the angel's message. But when Jesus comes around the corner, still in Mary's womb, The baby leaps for joy, and Elizabeth cries out in joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is the one who will trust in God. Skipping down to verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. And if you add things up, Luke has given us a timetable here. Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Mary stays for three months. We don't know that she stayed for the birth of John the Baptist, but John was soon to be born. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her, say it with me, joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke to him and said, No, he is to be called John. Now you need to understand that there was something powerful about Zechariah being his name. Zechariah in Hebrew, when you translate it, means God remembers And if you go back to the message that the angel gave to Zechariah, it was that God has heard your prayer. God has remembered you. And from that point forward, anytime somebody spoke Zechariah's name, Zechariah had to say, yes, yes, the Lord has remembered me. And the relatives and friends who are so overjoyed that Elizabeth, even in her old age, after everyone thought she'll never have a child, 
Oh, feel so sorry for Zachariah and Elizabeth. This baby comes in her womb and she has this child and they're celebrating. And, and they want to celebrate God remembering. God remembering his people. God remembering Zechariah. There was even sort of a sense of a promise of what was to come. God's not only going to remember Zechariah and Elizabeth. God will remember us someday. Amen? There was a reason, a very good reason, to call him Zechariah. But Elizabeth has heard the message of the angel. I don't exactly know how her husband Zechariah told her that. He would have had to have written it down in the same way he will in just a moment. But she responds to the angel in faith and trust. In the same way that Mary says, let it be to me, Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. It would be nice to call him Zechariah. It would honor his father. It would proclaim God's good news. But more than that, we've been told this is what you will call him, and she affirms. And everybody says, that's really strange. There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Continuing on. Then they made signs to his father. Sign language? I'm not sure exactly what this is. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And I think everyone expected him to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't know what's gotten into my wife, silly girl. He says, no, I remember what the angel said. I remember what God has instructed. And I'm going to be faithful to God. Understand that calling him Zechariah is a pretty faithful thing to do, isn't it? God remembers. But this is what God wanted him to be called. And this is what we will call him. His name is John. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. He began to speak. And big surprise, when a man of God is freed to speak, what does he do? He says, oh, Elizabeth, it's so good to see you today. Don't we love this baby? No, he began to praise the Lord. Amen. And such should our hearts be turned. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You see, as much as these stories are about the proclamation of God, God's message to his people, I'm coming to be with you. Mary recognized that what was in her was at least pointing for the fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah. That God was going to remember us. That God was not going to leave us alone. That God was coming to be with his people. An anticipation that, yes, they had had for thousands of years, but in a particularly powerful way since the moment of the exile. When the temple was torn down and and the people's trajectory, their hopefulness of look at all God's going to do with us were completely subverted and they had to become totally dependent. Would God do something with us after all? 400 years, 500 years of waiting. And yes, the transition into being dominated by Roman imperialism. The Romans showed up and said, we're here to bring you peace. We're going to bring the Pax Romana. And anybody who stands in a way may as well get ready to die now. We're going to tax you to death. We're going to make your life terrible. You will largely be left in poverty. But make no mistakes. We're here to bring you peace. 
Aren't you glad we've come? And in that time particularly, there seemed to be a heightened sense. God, you cannot leave us here. In the same way that the story from the Exodus is of the people recognizing the burden that Pharaoh and the Egyptians were putting on them, and they cried out to God. Now the people are crying out to God, Where is this king? Will you come? And as the announcement came, announcement came to Zechariah that your wife will bear a son who will prepare the way. And the announcement came to Mary. God is going to do a new creation in you that will take on the form of a child who is both yours and God's. Messiah is coming. And as much as those announcements filled their hearts with joy, they turned both of these couples towards faithful obedience. Zechariah and Elizabeth will both say, no, 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 no. We know how good Zechariah's name is, but he's going to be called John because we're going to be faithful to what the angel said. Mary, here's the message. Elizabeth's already six months pregnant, and she, did you notice the way that Luke wrote it? Immediately she heads to find out what's going on with Elizabeth. And her life just becomes this continual submission. I don't know if you noticed the phrase. When he said, no, 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 he's going to be called John. Luke said, fear came over all their neighbors. In their faithfulness, in their faithfulness to what God was doing, the proclamation of what God was doing became known to others. This theme of fear, the angel appears and we're fearful. And while an angel doesn't appear to these people, the message of God appears to them and the fear or the awe that God is doing something extraordinary comes on all those people. Not because the angel appeared to them, but because people were faithful and obedient to God and the community around them said, wow, there is the presence of God. God's presence and his main message, what we were calling angel's wings, were made known to others because of simple obedience by his faithful people. I don't know if you've ever thought of your own obedience in that way. I'm going to be faithful to God in this matter. I'm going to be faithful to God in that matter, in my life. And we sometimes think, I don't know, maybe you're not this way, but I think oftentimes we think nobody's going to notice that I'm being faithful in this way. But I want to proclaim to you every single time that you choose to be faithful in the way you raise your children, that you choose to be faithful in the way you handle your finances, that you choose to be faithful in the way you interact with your neighbors. Can I say it in these simple terms? The way you choose to be faithful in assembling with God's people, whether you're choosing to that in person or you're online, there is a witness to that that the world around us says, wow, God is doing something. And maybe... Maybe that will be years before they recognize it. And maybe you'll never see that they understand that your faithfulness has pointed them towards God. 
But if we trust in the promises of God that his word will never go out and not bring its harvest in, then we're trusting that our faithfulness brings proclamation of God's goodness. Amen? And again, because of obedience, because of their obedience, but much, much more so God's own faithfulness, Messiah came. Amen? In these simple, simple words, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him as all mothers would. As you and I would have been wrapped when we were born. In what are called swaddling clothes. She would have brought them with her from Nazareth. She would have had them handy from the moment she began to show. I've got to take care of this child. And we sometimes say, look at this extraordinary thing. Maybe we say, look at this terribly common thing, but in a powerful sort of way. The writer wants one more time for us to know he was born just like you and me. He didn't float up into some sort of special incubator, God incubator. You look at all the pictures that that painters have painted for 2,000 years now, and he kind of shines there, doesn't he? All by his lonesome. And if he's not shining, there's a ray from a star somewhere, right, that's coming right down on him. No. He was born to a woman, just exactly the way you were. Just exactly the way everybody all the way back to Cain and Abel were born in a woman. And she wrapped him up because he needed to be made warm. He needed to be cared for. He needed to be protected, just like you and me. But that's not where the story ends. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths because she had them near her. But I can promise you it was never her plan to be left in a stable. And a stable would be where she would have to be, a place to keep the animals, probably a, a low cave that would have been just on the edge of town that would have been used by shepherds to house their sheep in times of inclement weather particularly. But any time they needed to be protected, they would be brought in there. And she moves into this place, this incredibly humble place. I don't know about you, but my guess is that a few times Mary wondered, where are you, God? And then the baby came. And she knew exactly where God was. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And she laid him in a manger. Messiah came, even though there was no place for them in the inn. Boy, we have made a big deal out of that no place for them in the the inn. He came no matter what. Yes, it followed on the heels of faithful Zachariah and Elizabeth. Yes, it followed on the heels of faithful Mary. While Luke doesn't tell about it, it follows on the heels of a faithful Joseph who takes Mary in to under his protection to provide for her. He came, though, no matter what. No matter the ignorance, no matter the inattentiveness, no matter the faithlessness, God still comes. Amen? Amen. We, uh, we have painted this portrait 
of an innkeeper, hard-hearted innkeeper. No, I'm not going to let you in here. Why would I let that, you know, that kind of thing? And I don't think that's the picture. But Luke clearly wants to point to. And by the way, the gospel story will continue to unfold the narrative of how the people that should have recognized Jesus had no room for them in their heart. And at his birth, in the place of his lineage family, David, there's no room for him where the guests would normally be kept. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter that they couldn't see the Son of God in the womb of a little girl from Nazareth. It didn't matter that they couldn't see the Messiah in that feed trough on the backside of town. Messiah came. And maybe that is the greatest joy of all. Amen. The challenge for us is always finding God's joy in the midst of the struggle. I have a feeling that when they got to town, and again, my guess is they don't just kind of walk into town and suddenly she needs to have a baby and there's nowhere to go. There was no room for them maybe days, weeks ahead. They hadn't found a place. But bottom line is, it was incredibly discouraging that as she got closer and closer, she knew how to count months. She knew what God had done. And she knew when babies were born and it was getting closer and closer. And it was, by the way, for most of us, for me. I've had a daughter. I have a daughter who wants to have babies by this midwife thing. And somewhere in there, I panic. What do you mean we're not going to be in a hospital? Panic. What do you mean we're not going to have a doctor just right there? Panic. And she faithfully says, this is what God wants us to do. And she does it. I have a feeling that somewhere in the process of, and then it came time for the baby to be born, there was, but there wasn't, was there? But it wasn't nice and clean. It wasn't all laid out. There was no, there was no nursery. You moms, you first-time moms particularly, remember that time, right? Husbands, you remember? No, no, that's not exactly the right color. We need it two shades lighter than that. You need to paint it again. No, the baby bed can't go there. The baby bed has to go over here. No, it has to be just right. She didn't get to do any of that. And you might think that that would rob her the joy of the coming of Messiah. And yet everything we see that the story unfolds for us is the celebration of the coming of Christ in the midst of the struggle. I have no idea what Christmas represents for you. For, for me, it is, it is an anticipation of joy. And, and we've got our youngest grandbaby climbing in the suitcase, getting ready to come. And, and we're basically doing exactly the same thing, crawling through anything to be ready for those grandkids to be here in the next few days. But for some, the approaching of Christmas is a struggle because of broken relationships, because of possibly a time in the past when something negative was associated with this time of year. Carrie Underwood sings a song. It's on a Christmas album. It's not new. It's called Wrapped in Red. And it's full of these celebratory, jazzy songs. I love the jazz swing to it. It, I, it captures me. 
And in the midst of that album, she sings a song called Just For Now. And sometimes I think it's the cry of people at Christmas. Can't we just quit being so, having so much conflict just for now? Can you, can you not complain about the food not being just right just for now? Can you not be upset because the presents didn't work out exactly the way even among everybody just for now? In a powerful way, that song points us to what is so many people's experience of Christmas. It is the idea that there will be so much struggle that we almost miss the joy. The call of faithful Christians is that we do not see the joy of Christmas in the lights and in the perfectly wrapped presents and the absolutely, you know, the, the picture of the table that has everything exactly right on it and everybody just having the biggest smile on their face and getting along exactly the way we want to. The joy of Christmas is the reality of God's faithfulness in sending His Messiah. Amen. And I think we can live in that, and I would like to give three quick points for how we can step into that. By the way, not just for now, but all year long. Finding God's joy in the midst of struggle is first of all about recognizing that true joy is always the result of faithful obedience. We can't get to the joy that God wants us to have if we're not willing to step into trusting Him and obediently following where He leads us. Secondly, faith and obedience, if they're a key ingredient of joy, faith and obedience are most fulfilled when they come out of struggle. Isn't it it easy to obey when... There's nothing that opposes that obedience. Isn't it easy to say we're going to make Sundays special when all the stores close and there's nowhere else to go? And there wasn't football on TV all day long. It was so easy to make Sundays a dedicated to the Lord day. And not that way anymore. If I want to get to the store before it gets crowded, I think I may just have to not go to church today. You see? And boy, if anything can, contract, can, can distract me from what God wants me to see and hear in a day, it's the Dallas Cowboys losing in famous fashion and looking absolutely idiotic doing it. Somebody say? I know that Dallas losing is some of your favorite things, so just don't. But when faith and obedience are fulfilled out of struggle and in the midst of struggle and in the midst of challenge, That is when the light shines. Is it easy to do it? Diminished light. Is it hard to do it? Increased light. And thereby, increased joy. Finally, finding God's joy in the midst of struggle is in finding the greatest joys when we choose to make room for God's messages in us and around us. Amen? When we, we find those joys, when we hear the angels' wings, when we recognize God's presence, and we say, I want to go where that's leading. I want to respond where that's leading us. 
But this is especially true when it is found in struggle. Amen. How easy is it to hear God's voice when we're sitting in the church building and we sing some wonderful song like, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And you're like, wow, God is speaking to me now. And hallelujah. It's a little harder when we're away and when we're confronted with things that are hard. And we have to say, I recognize the hardness, the challenge that confronts me, but I will hold on to a greater truth, which is God's goodness and his blessing, and maybe above all else, the truth that he came for you and for me. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. Do you need a little more hope? Church, do you need a little more hope? Do you lean a little more joy? Would it be nice if peace was a little more part, not only of our lives, but our societies? Jesus is the only answer to that. And we find his hope, yes, in an empty cross and an empty tomb. Amen? But that hope started with a baby wrapped up in swaddling cloths. And lying in a manger. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is God's answer for your hope and your joy and your peace. If you're with us online, we would invite you to join in a conversation about how you might need more of Jesus in your life. You can start that by sending a text to 979-217-3300. We'll continue that conversation with you. You've chosen to be here today. As I look around, for the most part, most of you came with family and friends. And there is no one better than family and friends to start the conversation of how can we make Jesus more a part of our lives? How can we find ourselves into faithful obedience a little bit more even in the midst of our struggles? If, however... You would like to ask this church to be involved in that process. How do, I get a, how do I come to a little more Jesus? How do I realize his presence in my life a little bit more? You are welcome to come and begin that conversation right now, today. We'll be glad to help you. We're going to sing a song, and this is a great time for you to come and say, I want a little more Jesus. If you're in need of prayers, great time to come. Whatever it may be. Won't you come as we stand and as we sing? Away.